Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased that you've been able to join us for tonight's program. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And isn't that, to me that's so frustrating. We're stating the truth and the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded people from seeing the truth. They're blinded. They're spiritually blinded. God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's a phrase you'll have heard before, perhaps without giving it much thought. The Father and the Son are not too difficult. But what of the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit and what difference does he make in the everyday lives of believers? Good questions. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is continuing in a series on the Holy Spirit and answers those questions for us. Let's join him now for part two of the series on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for putting Christ first in your life, which is an expression of being here today and I, I really appreciate that. And um, thank you to those that have sent through prayer requests as well. We're going to pray for one of those in a moment. Um, And then I'm going to just uh, talk about where I'm going with this message and uh, express to you my heart is not just to preach a word, but to actually pastor and shepherd your soul. I mentioned this month is I'm looking at the, the Spirit and this is the Spirit series and we're, we're taking five aspects of what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer and we'll be looking at what, uh, what that means for us. And I've, I've explained, I hope, that in order to be a Christian, it, it is necessarily so that the Holy Spirit has done something in and through your life. You can't just have a mental assent that, yes, I believe the facts because even demons do that and they're not Christians. So one of the things that we need to be aware of, the, in fact, as I sort of recap some of the things that we looked at last Sunday, these facts about the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, he's a person. Whenever someone refers to the Holy Spirit as it, I generally say it, and they realize what they've done. It sounds like when you're talking about spirit, you're talking about something immaterial, impersonal, and it-ish. But he is not. He is a person who thinks, feels, acts, and interacts. If you remember Ananias and Sapphira, when the Apostle Peter said, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And some people have this concept that the Holy Spirit is just the power of God, such as Jehovah's Witnesses and the like. But you can't lie to electricity. You can't go up to a PowerPoint and spin a yarn and lie to it. But you can only lie to a person. The Holy Spirit is a person who thinks, feels, acts and interacts. The Bible actually describes the Holy Spirit as having a mind, the capacity to think. Here we have in Romans 8.27 where the Apostle Paul says, He who searches hearts, that's God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's a number of things that we learn about the Holy Spirit there. God the Father knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is choosing to use his mind to pray for you. Isn't that amazing? Rather comforting when you think 
No one's praying for me. There is someone praying for you. At least the Holy Spirit. That's a decision that he has made. That's an act of his will. Together with God the Father, God the Son, he is worthy of worship. I grew up in a a church where after I was confirmed in the Anglican church and my, my parents went through a terrible time of, in, of near, nearly losing everything and they sought out prayer and, and uh, we landed in a Pentecostal church and as I spent my formative teenage years in, in that church, I was told that it was by one of the youth leaders who was later corrected that it's wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit or worship the Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, that's odd. That's odd. If he's God, why wouldn't we worship him? Now, as I said, he was corrected later. The, has anyone memorized all 196 articles of the Westminster Catechism? This is Article 11 of the Westminster Catechism. And it says this, The Scriptures manifest that the Son and the Holy Ghost, which is an old English term for the Holy Spirit, are God equal with the Father, ascribing unto them such names attributes, works, and worship as are proper to God only. So the Holy Spirit is worthy of worship. We can adore and worship the Holy Spirit because he is God. Before the ascension of Christ, and there's a number of expressions that are used in the Gospels to describe that event, including John 17, where it describes the ascension as Jesus returning to his glory. That is, when he ascended. So before the ascension, the Holy Spirit occasionally came upon certain people. For example, one of my childhood heroes, he didn't necessarily, he had a bit of a a hiccup. By the way, um, Aaron, I'm a, um, Michael Jackson, Aaron. I love Michael Jackson's music, Aaron. I bought his last DVD and I agree with you. You can appreciate someone's work even though they themselves may not be the best example of what it means to live a good life. I agree with you. Anyway, uh, and and that's a great segue to talk about Samson. Because Samson was, because I I as a kid, I was a, you're not going to believe this, I was a skinny little runt of a kid. It's hard to, you look at me now and you go, no. But I was. much like Caleb is now and I um we okay Caleb that wasn't a very convincing yeah we're all right mate um but here it says about the Holy Spirit coming upon Samson it says when he came to Lehi the Philistines came shouting to meet him then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the, he, remember, he, this, is, this is kind of the, the bad bit about Samson. He had a weakness, and his weakness was sex. And so he was frequenting prostitutes, and one of them was Del- Delilah. And she had tried to trick him as a, a, an agent of the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. How can we defeat this guy? Well, if you tie up my hands with cords of, of uh, rope, you know, new ropes... Uh, then I'm, I'm powerless. And it says here, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. 
So that's what the Holy Spirit did. It came upon Samson and then in his arrogance, he actually did not, the text says, he did not realise that the Holy Spirit departed from him. And that's when he was captured and it was, it was not a great end, but he redeemed his life right at the end, if you know the story in Judges, the book of Judges. So Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit who was, note the word in single quotation marks, with them would soon be in them after he ascended. And it's, it's uh, stated twice in the Gospel of John by Christ. Now this, uh, it's, it says here in John seven thirty nine. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet had not been glorified, was not yet glorified, which is another way of saying he had not yet ascended. So we, we see here that even though the Holy Spirit came upon certain people in the Old Testament, Samson, for example, even King Saul, it says the Holy Spirit came upon King Saul and he prophesied and people said, is he now a prophet? And we see the prophets, the Holy Spirit came upon them. But it was for a time, it was for an occasion. And they, they may have even at times been filled with the Spirit to an extent, but it was a temporary thing under the old covenant. And so we see Jesus also saying to his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 17, which I'll, I'll refer to in a moment as well, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And isn't that, to me that's inc- so frustrating We're stating the truth and the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded people from seeing the truth. They're blinded. They're spiritually blinded. Jesus said the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, Jesus said, for he dwells, note these two words again, with you and will be in you hmm so even though we have these occasions in the old testament of the holy spirit coming upon people he was there and he was gone we even have the same thing before the ascension when the holy spirit came upon the disciples and granted them the grace to perform amazing miracles cast out demons and heal people and the like but it was only for a time And this is where I think some people confuse the activity of the Holy Spirit as being just restricted to the first century, just for a time. But if you get this, Jesus is saying there's going to be a change. The Holy Spirit who came occasionally is going to not just be with you, he'll be in you. And the promise, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, is to you, your children, and to as many as God shall call. That takes the time barrier off it so what does the spirit-filled life look like what happens when someone is spirit-filled the spirit-filled life Ephesians 5:18, speaking to believers who had experienced the transformation of the Holy Spirit in their life the Apostle Paul says this do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery disgraceful Christians should not be participating in that but be filled with the Spirit. 
Hmm. It sounds like a command. It sounds like what's called an imperative. It's something this is what you should do, you must do. It requires, as I hope to show you, not, well, if God wants to do it, he'll just do it. It's not that. When Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, the response should be, okay, God, fill me. Holy Spirit, come into my life. I need, I want to be filled afresh. And you might think, oh, I don't think that's good theology, Andrew. And I go, well, it is. So there. So here's why. <laughs> that was me just being funny. Here's why. In, in Acts chapter 2, they, we see the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I will argue next week as we talk about being baptised with the Spirit, that not only were they filled, they were baptised. And I'll do a demonstration to show the difference. But then in Acts chapter 4, the same believers pray this, God, fill us afresh with your Spirit. Fill us again. Hmm. Someone once said that the Spirit-filled believer's life is very leaky. We need to be constantly filled. So what does the activity of the Holy Spirit in the believer look like? We, I, I, I wonder how many of us appreciate the enormity of what I'm about to say. The magnitude of what I'm about to say. Because we can become so, our Christianity can become so routine, so formulaic, so, so much do this, do this, and that's, this will happen. It's like... Tick this box, tick this, done that, gone to church, tick the box, paid my tithes, done that, tick the box. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is meant to be a life of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, where you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the word that I'm fearful is going to go, yeah, yeah, I know that word. Yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me something I don't know. So I want... I wish I could. I would just want us to go, okay, what are we missing here? The word is regeneration. It's, it's specifically used once in the New Testament, but it is described in nearly every epistle of the New Testament, and it's described by Jesus to Nicodemus when he used that concept and he said, you must be what? Born again. That's what regeneration means. And the reason I haven't put born again is because born again sounds like a political label. You have people who say, well, I'm a born again Christian because I vote this way. It's got nothing to do with how you vote. It might affect how you vote, think, what the decisions you make, but it's not your political identity. Regeneration. Here we have Titus chapter 3, verse 5, and our home groups are studying them. Some have made their way through our, our Bible study series on Titus. We have 10 truths, ten doctrines, ten principles that we've been looking at in the epistle to Titus. This is just profound. And this is what the work of the Holy Spirit does. He saved us. Oh, we could do a month of messages on this to, so that you realise it's not he will save us. It's not even he is saving us. He saved us. Some of you need to get that because there are some people who I fear, as I have seen on the deathbeds of other people who've journeyed with Christ, they get to the end and they wonder, have I done enough? 
to be right with God. And if you get those first three words, he saved us. If you have given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit has transformed your heart, ripped out that heart of stone spiritually and given you a heart of what Ezekiel calls a heart of flesh where you can hear, feel and be sensitive to God now because the Holy Spirit has done this inner transformation in you. You are, third word, saved, saved, rescued from eternal torment and condemnation and brought into eternal peace and relationship and adoption with God. Let's just pronounce a benediction now because this is what the Holy Spirit does in a person. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So there's two things the Holy Spirit does in a believer. I'm concentrating right now on regeneration. That word, washing of regeneration. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 says, We who were dead in trespasses and sins have now been made alive in Christ. And it'd be easy for you to think the way the world thinks about death. Death, no heartbeat, no brainwaves, no no pulse, no breath, dead. But that's not the way the Bible uses the word dead. The Bible uses the word dead to mean separated from a life source. And when you're separated from a life source, when you are separated from a life source, you still exist. James chapter 2, faith without works is dead as the body without the spirit is dead. And it's not the Holy Spirit, it's your spirit. Your spirit will live forever. Question is, with whom and where? And unless the Holy Spirit has done something of that regeneration in your soul, you could be fooling yourself, kidding yourself. I'm a Christian because I said a little prayer up the front and I even signed a card. I went to three discipleship classes. Well, actually I skipped two, but I, I, I'm in. And you could be kidding yourself. The second word that we see the Holy Spirit does there is that word renewal. The Holy Spirit does transform and make new. The Holy Spirit renews a person. You know when someone is saved. You know when the Holy Spirit's got a hold of someone. Their life begins to change. We don't even have to hardly tell them to change. We don't even have to hardly tell people you shouldn't do that. Reminds me of the, the nightclub owner who ran the sleaziest joint in town and he came to church not our church but he came to a church and people are murmuring there's because he had a reputation there was some pretty disgusting things going on in his nightclub and he came the next week and people are going and he came the next week and the pastor gave the altar call and he came forward and a at the request of the pastor, who would like to give their life to Christ? And he came forward. And, and they, they, the, you know, the, the board and the elders are going, where do we start with this guy? How do we disciple him? He's, he's the, the, the city's biggest rogue. And they thought, well, let's just see what the Holy Spirit does. And the pastor, a few weeks later, gave the appeal, said, look, if you sense the Holy Spirit is challenging you to lay something down and repent, then I invite you to come forward and we'll pray for you and the whole church nearly stood on their feet with a standing ovation nearly nearly 
when the guy got up from the back seat and came forward. And they go, yes, at last. He'll get rid of the prostitutes. He'll get rid of the stripper poles. He'll get rid of the... Like, they went through the list. And he said to the pastor, I think there's some things I need to change that I'm doing that are wrong. And the pastor's going, yes, get the elders off my back. Get the board off my back. Get the women off my back. And the guy says this, I don't know what I'm doing's right. Oh, how's that, my son? I haven't told anybody, but I'm watering down the whiskey. (laughs) Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, come on, back in the room. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. What happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a person? They begin to think different, which means they begin to behave different. They begin to treat people differently. They begin to feel guilt where they never used to feel guilt. And it's not guilt, it's called what? Conviction. Do not be conformed, the scripture says, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind made possible by the Holy Spirit that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect this is something the Holy Spirit does in us he renews us he transforms us our minds are changed our lives become conformed to the word of God we get a love for things we never had a love for we begin to not like things that are not good for us that's why you can tell someone whom the Holy Spirit's got a hold of they love the church they love being with brothers and sisters they make it a priority they don't let things overwhelm or override or surpass their priority being in God's house becomes a thing what else does the Holy Spirit do in a person when a person is filled and walking the spirit in the spirit-filled life the holy spirit enables people to do what is natural what is not naturally possible what's the word for that supernatural we hear supernatural and we think occult tv programs and things like that but super simply means above natural it's beyond natural things begin to happen that are beyond natural and i think generally we end up calling those things coincidences and as you heard me say when we came back from lockdown and I, I mentioned how often it is that God answers our prayers, that it's, it's so striking that God answers our prayers, that people have said, I wasn't answered a prayer, it was just a coincidence. And the whole point there is it's amazing. It's just incredibly amazing just how, how many coincidences the Christian experiences because they pray. And so truly, truly, I say to you Jesus said whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do well that right there would be good enough and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father there's ascension because of the ascension Christ saying to the father mission accomplished now we can send the Holy Spirit believers in Christ will do greater works Christ and when you think about it Jesus ministered in 
a geographic area one third the size of Tasmania. Never travelled beyond that, apart from when he was a small child, went down to Egypt. He, as much as Norm mentioned, he, he got to speak to a few thousand people. But that was about it. And you might think a few thousand is pretty good. Yeah, but you know, what's been done in his name since then is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Fulfilling what Jesus said. You can do when you're a spirit-filled person. God can use you to do what could not naturally happen. What else happens to the spirit-filled person? Direction, guidance, leading. You know, after Jesus was baptised, the text says this, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Led by the Spirit, direction. When the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, said, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. John 16, verse 13. This is what happens to the spirit-filled believer. I want to use a word that Scripture uses, consolation. This is what happens to the spirit-filled believer, consolation. And it sounds very morbid it sounds like a time of incredibly bitter grief when we need consolation but consolation in the bible as many words are often taken by jesus and the biblical writers and they add another dimension of meaning to it like the word love for example and in this instance let's let's have a look at what jesus said john 14 verses 16 and the start of verse 17 and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now that word helper is translated in Luke chapter 2 as consolation. Paraclesis. It's from the word parakletos. And it, it, can be, it can be translated helper. It can be translated God. Para, para, parallel, para. It comes alongside. The Holy Spirit will come alongside you, put an arm around you in your deepest, darkest seasons of life. And what will he do? He won't say, there, there. He'll say, I am with you. It will be okay. When my father-in-law died in 2000, at the age of 62, the day of his retirement. My world collapsed. I was shattered. And I've told you that I had many times tried to convince my father-in-law of the claims of Christ in the Bible. And I'd got, he was a, a very hard man. He was a Hungarian refugee and he was a tough man. And then he died. And I thought, man, I've, I've failed. And my, my mother-in-law asked me, she rang and, and said, would you take the funeral? And I'm, my, head, my world is spinning. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how on earth can I do this? And I'm, I remember I was out in the garden, just, I don't know if I was mowing or doing something, and, and I, I'm thinking, what do I say? How do I do this? My mother-in-law was Jehovah's Witness. My father-in-law was an atheist. How do I do this? 
And I heard myself saying this, words are never enough. No words can bring comfort and healing in a time like this. And I'll tell you, as soon as I said that in my mind, the Holy Spirit said, don't you ever say that again. And it was so clear, don't you ever say that again. Words can bring healing. Words can bring comfort. Words can change a life. And then you look through the scripture how often Jesus talks about word and spirit. Word and spirit. Peter says, when Jesus says to him, are you going to leave me as well? Peter says, to whom can we go? You have the words of spirit and life. Consolation by the Holy Spirit will meet you in your darkest, darkest, deepest, darkest time. Put his arm around you and say, I'm with you. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, I invite you to go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Holy Spirit Part 2 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the greatest cause for a believer's reluctance to surrender to the Holy Spirit is fear. But what an encouragement we get from Scripture to fear not the good gift God gives us. More from Dr. Corbett next week as he continues with the Holy Spirit series. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Nagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.